I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We will be considering verses 1 through 15 this evening. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. In this passage, Jesus is continuing his Galilean ministry. As Luke tells us that he is going from city to city, village to village, town to town, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Specifically in this passage, Jesus explains for us what is going on when he is preaching, when he is proclaiming this good news. He explains this for us in the form of a parable. The parable of the sower. So please turn your attention now to the reading of God's holy word, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this evening. Well, let's imagine there's a a fictional character, a character named uh, Joe. I hope there's no one named Joe here. I don't think there is. But Joe was not raised in the church. 
And Joe, he has a, a fondness for the outdoors and for nature. He appreciates the beauty of nature. However, the transcendence that nature possesses at times terrifies him. He often thinks to himself, if there indeed is a God behind nature, behind creation, I would be terrified to meet him, especially in light of the things that I have done. And one day, Joe finds himself in a church, a church that preaches the gospel. And he hears those words of Jesus, which say, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Joe repents of his sins. He's struck to the heart, and he believes this message of the gospel. But now let's imagine another fictional character, a fictional character named Jane. Jane, did not, Jane grew up in the church. She heard the gospel at a young age. But as she grew up, she went off to college and pursued a career in STEM. And as she began to look back upon the gospel of her youth, she began to regard it as quite outlandish, foolish, strange, the remnant of a bygone era, an era where there were goblins and demons in the forest and every falling of a leaf and breaking of a twig was God's direct action. She, she dismisses this gospel, turns from it, and she thinks, you know, the many benefits that Christians derive from their faith, I can find that elsewhere. I'm an active member of my community. Our kids are involved in activities and our families have great fellowship. I pursue psychological wellness through exercise, hikes in nature, even meditation. She turns her back on the gospel. Now I would imagine that we all can think of individuals who are represented in Joe and Jane. Individuals who hear the gospel, are struck to the heart, repent of their sins and believe. We also can think of individuals who hear the gospel and, and turn their back on it, reject it as foolish, strange, outlandish. Or yet others who have seemed at one point to embrace the gospel, only later on to reject it and show that they never really had faith at all. And so this brings to the surface in a question, a question I would imagine we've all considered at one time or another. And that question is, when the word is, is preached, why do some believe and some reject that word? It's an interesting and important question. It's a question that Jesus here answers for us. He answers this question in the form of a parable. And so I'd like us to consider this parable of the sower by specifically considering the three main elements of this parable. I'd like us to consider the seed, the soils, and lastly, the cultivator. So the seed, the soils, and the cultivator. As I mentioned, this, this passage begins with this note by Luke about the current context of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He is going from village to village, town to town, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God that he's bringing forth. Luke tells us that he's accompanied with his 12 apostles, as well as these three women, Mary, Susanna, and uh, Joanna. And one of these occasions where he is preaching and proclaiming this good news of the kingdom, Jesus is preaching, his sermon on this occasion, comes in the form of a parable. And in this parable, he makes use of agricultural imagery, which 
in that current context would have been readily known by most of the people in that crowd. And Jesus refers to this sower, this planter, who is somewhat flippantly just casting seed all about him. And we read that some of this seed falls on good soil, but much of this seed falls on infertile soil. It falls on the thorns. It falls on the rocks. It falls on the well-traveled path. And in verse 11, Jesus explains what the seed explicitly means. And this parable is somewhat unique in, in this respect. Not often does Jesus explain his parables in this grade of detail. But he does so here for us in this parable of the sower. In verse 11, Jesus explicitly tells us that the seed in this parable represents the word of God. But specifically, the word of God, as it comes to us in the gospel, that great announcement of what Jesus, especially in this current context, has done, is doing, and will do for his people. How he's come to this earth to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we all deserve to die so that we might live with our creator in everlasting blessedness. So important. It's important to recognize that the seed is the word. The seed is not our faith. The seed is our word. And notice what the word has the power to do. This word has the power to sprout and bring forth a yield of a hundredfold, a bountiful crop. The word has the power to do that, not us. The seed is the word, the word that has the power to create a, a bountiful crop. That is to say, the word through the spirit has the power to not only convert unbelievers, sinners, but to build up, to comfort, to sanctify those, those of us who do have faith, believers. I believe Luke really understood this theology of the word that, that Jesus sets forth in this parable. Because in his second book, the, the Acts of the Apostles that Luke writes, one, one way he describes the expansion of the church is by saying that the word grew and multiplied. The word grew and multiplied. That's another way to, to describe the church growing. It's really the power of the word growing and multiplying in our midst. I love how Martin Luther, the great reformer, he, he also knew this, this theology of the word that Jesus is setting forth for us in this parable. In one of his writings, he was reflecting upon how there were some people in his day who were attributing the Reformation solely to him, as if he was responsible for this great Reformation which has been brought about. And his response to that is to say, I did nothing. All I did was sit in a, in a pub in Wittenberg drinking beer with my buddy, and it was the Word that did everything. He says, I did nothing. The Word did everything. The seed is, is the word. And this sowing of gospel seed is what the kingdom of God or the church, which is the institutional expression of the kingdom in this age, is all about. 
that's its primary mission, is the sowing of gospel seed. In Matthew 28, the famous Great Commission, Jesus is about to leave his, his, his apostles bodily as he will ascend to his Father in heaven, and he commissions his apostles to do what he's speaking about here in this parable, to go to the edge of the earth, to all the nations, and sow gospel seed. In the pastoral epistles, Paul is talking to his protege Timothy, this young pastor. He repeatedly tells him to devote himself to the preaching of the word in season and out of season. This is the mission of the church. It wasn't just the mission for the 12 apostles. This is the mission for every new covenant church. In many companies, businesses speak of, of mission drift or institutions speak of mission drift. There's many churches that have drifted from this mission that Jesus has given to his people to preach this gospel, this gospel which converts sinners, even sinners within the covenant community. We know that the covenant community, the church, is a mixed community. But it also builds us up. It waters our own faith, grows our, our spiritual lives. But also, I want you to see that in this parable, Jesus speaks about the sower as sowing gospel seed everywhere. Not just on the good soil, but also on the infertile soil, the rocks, the thorns, the path. Now imagine the individuals in, this orig in the original context would have been scratching their heads a bit. I would imagine there were farmers, planters, sowers uh, there in that crowd thinking, what kind of foolish, irresponsible sower is Jesus alluding to? Who would take precious seed and scatter it along the path, upon the thorns, upon the rocks? But this point in Jesus' parable is intentional, is very important. Because he's teaching us that the gospel is for all people. The gospel isn't just reserved for those who have good soil. It's for all sorts of people. The elect, the non-elect, we are called to preach the gospel indiscriminately, promiscuously, to every person who comes in our midst. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Is, is the seed is sort of flippantly cast in every sort of soil. So here, Jesus is establishing a very important point that the gospel needs to be preached. Gospel seed needs to be sown. People will not be converted by a hike in nature, by encountering God in creation. The word, the gospel is necessary for people to come to a saving knowledge of their creator. Well, Jesus moves on and he, he now gives us a lesson on, on the soils. He tells us about these different kinds of soils that this gospel seed lands upon and what, what the meaning of these different kinds of soils are. And the soils here are an illustration. They represent the heart condition and heart responses of the people. And the first type of soil that we encounter is the, the path, the well-trodden path. 
And the seed is, is cast upon this path, and Jesus says that it, it doesn't take root because it's trampled by the travelers, it's devoured by the birds. And in verse 12, Jesus goes on to explain what the meaning of this imagery is. He said this represents the evil one, the devil, coming in and snatching the word from people's hearts. In Scripture, there are really two types of individuals. There are those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. That is to say, those who are, those are, those who are in Adam belong under the sway of the evil one, and those who are in Christ belong to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is, speaks of this division. He says that we all once were dead in our sins and trespasses. And in this state, we were also following the prince of the power of the air. That is the devil. In a lot of ways, you can think of Adam's first sin as him breaking covenant with God and making a pact with the evil one. You see that conflict between these two seeds play out throughout Scripture. And so it makes sense that the devil would not want the word to take root in the hearts of his people. He knows the power of the word. That the word naturally creates this, this bountiful harvest. He doesn't want that to happen, so he snatches it. The second type of soil that Jesus uh, teaches is, is this rocky soil. Verse 13, he tells us that this, this rocky soil, which causes the seed not to be able to take root, this rocky soil represents the trials, the tribulations, the suffering that we all encounter in this present evil age. Those inexplicable tragedies, hardships that come our way, they can be a real trial to faith, to the seed taking root. He said for some individuals, the hardships, the tragedies, the suffering of this present age doesn't allow the, the seed to take root. The third type of soil is this thorny soil. And this thorny soil chokes out that seed. And this thorny soil, Jesus tells us, refers to the, the sinful pleasures that exist in this fallen, evil world. And more specifically, this refers to those individuals who, who reject the gospel, the way of life that this gospel calls us to, because of their love for that hedonistic pleasure. Eat and drink, for tomorrow, tomorrow we die. As the Apostle Paul says, It's important to know that these, these three examples, these first three examples, they all are referring to the infertile soil. And Jesus is not saying that these individuals had faith and then they lost their faith. No, he's, he's saying that these individuals never had faith. That seed never fully took root. So lastly, we come to the good soil. The soil that reaps a hundredfold, that produces this bountiful crop. What he means by this good soil is, is this is an individual who is struck by the law, convinced of his or her sin and misery, and is driven to Christ and embraces 
Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. That's this good soil. So you have the path. You have the rocks. You have the thorns. You have the good soil. Well, how does Jesus' teaching here on the soils relate to us? Well, David in Psalm 51.5, this is his prayer of confession after his sin with Beersheba. And he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin, my mother conceived me. David says that our sin problem, it doesn't, it doesn't begin in adulthood or adolescence. It begins in conception. The very moment we are constituted a human person, we are constituted a sinful, depraved human person. That's a consequence of our first parents' fall in paradise. We are all born in sin. And our sin can take on different forms. We all have different proclivities, dispositions, struggles. That is to say, some of us have, have thorny hearts. Some of us, our hearts more look like the path or the rocks. But what unites all of our various sinful hearts is that they're infertile. The seed cannot take root. We are as unwilling and unable to turn to God as rocky, thorny, or well-trodden soil is able to produce a bountiful crop. None of us are born with a heart of good soil. And so the question we should be asking is not, why do some people reject the gospel? That's quite evident. If we really see that our natural fallen human state is that we are sinners, sinners with uh, hearts of thorny and rocky soil, quite evident. And notice that God is not the one who puts the thorns and the rocks in our hearts. We put them there. We love the thorns. We love the rocks. In fact, we continue to plant more thorn bushes. And we add to the rock pile. We love our sin. We love our thorns and our bush and our, and our rocks. God is not responsible for man's sin that makes us unable, unwilling to respond as we should his grace for us in the gospel. Now, growing up on a farm, one thing that we did every spring is we would pick rocks from our fields before we would plant. And we'd walk up and down these fields with a rock wagon and manually pick up these rocks and put them in the rock wagon and carry on that way until our fields are, are picked. One thing I learned from a very early age is that those fields do not pick themselves. You don't pick the rocks, the rocks are going to stay there. In a similar way, we can't change our hearts. We can't pick the rocks of our own heart, as it were. We can't uproot the thorn bushes. And therefore, we need to be acted upon by someone or something, just as those fields need to be acted upon by someone or something. And so this leads us to consider the cultivator, the cultivator of bad and sinful human hearts. So who is the one who cultivates our natural fallen human hearts, which are thorny or rocky? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who cultivates these hearts. 
He's the one who transforms our, the soil of our heart, which is naturally rocky, thorny, or, or well-trodden, like that path, into good and fertile soil. Now, this point isn't, isn't explicit here, but in light of the broader teaching of Scripture, I, I think this is a, a very natural application of this parable. Consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. A lot of ways he's playing on this imagery that Jesus sets forth here in this parable. As he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God is the one who is responsible through his Holy Spirit of preparing the soil of our hearts to receive the word. In fact, in 1 John 5, 1, John says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice that. If you believe, that's evidence that a prior work of the Holy Spirit has occurred in your heart, preparing the soil of your heart. So the Holy Spirit is the one who, who picks the rocks of our heart, who uproots the thorn bushes, who tills the path, the well-trodden path. So we see that this text really is a text about the power of the Spirit to make our hearts hearts of good soil. You look with me in verses 9 through 10. Jesus, he first tells this parable and the disciples don't understand. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? We don't understand what, what you're trying to say in this parable and then Jesus' response, before he, he goes and explains every part of the parable, he says this. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The latter part of, of verse 10 there, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 God had, had, has commissioned Isaiah to go to a rebellious people, the people of Israel, telling him that you're going to see no fruit in your ministry. These people have hard hearts. They are not going to respond to the word of the Lord that you will preach to them. They will see, but they will not see. They will hear, but they will not hear. So Jesus is saying that there are those who will be hardened, people who will not receive the word. But notice the passive verb that that Luke use, Jesus uses. He says, to you, speaking to the twelve, to you has been given, has been given, the secrets, of the, uh, the secrets of the kingdom of God. Who's the actor of, of that verb? Well, it's God through the Holy Spirit who reveals the kingdom of God to the twelve. And so Jesus is saying, that the parables that he sets forth in the Gospels, they, they serve as a double-edged sword. For some, they reveal the mysteries, the long-awaited revelation of this kingdom of God that the Old Testament prophets long to see. But for others, it conceals the kingdom of God. It's a form of judgment on their hard hearts that really don't want to see, they don't want to hear. What response should we have to this parable, this parable of the sower that Jesus sets forth for us here? Well, first, 
We need to hear and believe. Notice that Jesus himself says this in what would have been quite a loud voice. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We are called to respond with with faith as the, the seed of the word of God is planted and sowed in our midst. We are called to believe. We're also called to pray. This truth uh, that Jesus sets forth uh, about the Spirit who prepares our hearts, it shouldn't make us passive, but it should take the pressure off of us. Because we know that for the unbelieving loved ones we have in our family, it's ultimately a work of the Spirit of God to till the heart, the soil of their hearts, that they may receive the Word of God. For those who are uh, in our lives who are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, to pray to the, the cultivator of hearts, to soften their heart, to again till the soil of their hearts. They may respond and be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. And lastly, this is why we pray before the sermon. We're praying that the Spirit would be present, cultivating our hearts to receive the word as we should. So brothers and sisters, beloved in the Lord, let us give thanks to God that he has not left us in our sin, in the thorn bushes and rocks that we have chosen for ourselves, but he has sent forth his spirit to cultivate our hearts, to turn our our hearts of, of stone into hearts of flesh. Let us pray.